Come on and join me on the B-side When movie stars they weren't in their prime Made all the movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Dan and Connor by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side Hello cinephiles and welcome to another episode of <laughs> the B-Side Podcast for the Film Stage website. As ever, I am Dan Mecca here with Connor O'Donnell. Connor, episode 102, yeah. Tom Cruise part three, three indeed. with our good friend Corey Everett. I just rhymed Look at you. unintentional. Lee, there you go. Keep it going. That, Let's go. This is all gonna going be, it's to be. It's going to be a whole episode of slam poetry. So just like Love Jones. Yeah. And huh. You guys remember Love Jones? And I do. So I, married, so, so I married an axe murderer. Both movies that heavily feature uh, slam, slam poetry. poetry. Yeah, I, the have, 90s lo- I have the Love Jones Criterion. It's great. Love Jones. I think you're, are you talking about Love and Basketball? No, Love Love Jones. Love Jones has a Criterion. Yeah, it's great. Oh, see, we're talking I, about the I, same I, Love Jones, right? Love Jones with Neil Long. Yeah, yeah. And Lorenz Tate. Yes. Good movie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good to know. I got to get yeah. that criterion. Anyway, so here we are, Tom Cruise Part 3, uh, the episode, the subject that started it all. We just talked about um, Rock of Ages, Oblivion, and the first Jack Reacher with our good friend Richie Filippi. That episode's out, and hopefully you've listened to it. And we're back to talk about um, the movies he made right after Rogue Nation, right before Fallout. And those movies were... Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, The Mummy, and American Made. Now, Corey Everett, you're here with us. This is, what, your 40th time on the podcast? How many times have you been on this podcast, Corey? 78. I think this is only four. Yeah, this is four. He's almost a five-time. We'll send you you a Our friend Corey, I mean, if you know us, you have to know. This is the guy who created Cinephile, a card game. He he, um, wrote the book, the Cinephile book, and then now Lil Cinephile, which is coming out. And you can order it now. A for for Artura, right, is the name of the book. A for Artura, sorry. A for Artura and the Lil Cinephile books. But I guess A for Artura is a Lil Cinephile book, right? Yeah, it's part of the whole. Corey, it is, right? Yeah, Yeah, they're all all like Lil Cinephile books, yeah. And so I've said, let me just say this. I feel like I've said this. My kid, my first kid, my oldest kid, Noah, loves loves the crap out of that C for Cinephile book. Loves that we Ozu, read, loves that we Ozu read, page. Yeah, Corey, or Connor was over. Uh, yeah. He visited. I read him the and book he saw, and he, he just wanted he to hang out hand. on the Ozu page. So Now, we now look, we'll he tell bought Corey. Ozu. We'll tell Corey it's because of the writing. I do think it's probably... More the beautiful yellow color and Steve Eisen's Hey, look, it's uh, all part of it. There are no but every here's detail the beauty, matters, But hang on, Dan. here's the beauty of the books. What's so great is he's going to get older and the writing is going to blossom like a, like he's going to, he's going to connect it. And when he's watching uh, late spring, clearly you can, 13. you can guide him through it because you've just opened this with that wonderful rhyming. So it's all. Well, I am a slam. I mean, we yeah. know I'm a slam. slam so anyway, no. Tom Cruise. So, okay, Corey, you wanted to come on to talk Cruise. Well, look, these movies, we have varying different opinions. I think we can all agree this is a weird moment in his career because Tom the, is the weirdest, maybe. I would well, say. okay, because Tom's yeah. back, right? right? The context, and Corey, you can elaborate on this because I know you're you're interested in this context, right? And like, 
But Tom is back in a big way. But this is that thing of like pre Top Gun Maverick. It was it's and we love Tom, but it's really only the mission movies that are like the surefire hits like sure edge of tomorrow kind of got legs and we love it now okay oblivion did okay we talked about that last week so you have jack reacher did okay you have those things but really like the thing he's cashing in every four years is the mission movie and this is really a period where it's like he makes three movies and none of them really do that well. You could make an argument for American Made. It's a modestly budgeted movie. It is. I think it is good. I think it does okay. But you can't really make a case that any of these are like home runs. So like, what are you, as a Tom Cruise fan, a cinephile yourself, Corey, how do you approach these three going into this? Yeah, so um, thanks for having me back, guys. Um, and a pl- oh, yes. Corey, a pleasure. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> we talk every day just for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, there's so a bit of context being left out, but we basically talk every yeah. other minute of every day. Yeah, literally every day. But yeah. we don't get the opportunity to talk for two hours in depth about possibly True. the world's biggest and, and last best movie star. And so if you've heard my other episodes on the B-side, uh, Winona Ryder, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Nicolas Cage, the thing that I really am interested in doing when I come on here is rather than tackle a few oddball selections throughout someone's career, is really dig into like a concentrated period of time, like a period of a couple years where everything in that you're, zone You're, you're like made. a fan of like our, our, our sort of original format that we kind of did. Exactly. Yeah, sure, is, sure. Is, is finding out like that Keanu run you know, post matrix and all those movies he made, you know, before the sequels. And so I reached out to you guys, um, uh, recently because, you know, Tom Cruise, Top Gun Maverick, big, biggest movie no, of yeah, the year you, and thinking it all, the stars kind of aligned, right? Cause we, I mean, Dan and I knew a long time ago, I want to say maybe around the time we were 60 episodes deep or something. We knew that we wanted to return to Tom Cruise after we hit a hundred. That was like a thing. Cause we knew, you know, obviously there are other now other things that we could talk about. Um, but yeah, I feel like the stars kind of aligned with it because we had been meaning to get our guest who, uh, who was on last week, Richie Filippi, who worked on rock of ages. We had been meaning to get him on. And then you kind of pitched us offline of like, Oh, what if you did, two more and you just did yeah and you just did the valleys between mission movies and i think that's contextually like dan just mentioned i think again it's it's the biggest movie star in the world so you know to some degree warrants it yeah to some degree they're not b-sides because people remember them but in the context of the man they certainly are right like i'll I'll never i'll never forget this we had uh uh, obviously, obviously a few mutual kind of friends acquaintances when we all did trivia nights back um at videology many years ago which always gets referenced obviously on many different podcasts because that was kind of a lot was going on there that's it, kind of where it's the right, cbgbs of uh new york film nerd podcasts is what it and is that's, <laughs> everyone and who that's went like where the podcast, um, yeah. In a way, that's like where Cinephile kind of sprouted, right? Like you've said, Corey, because that yep. was you. Yeah. So anyway, we had a friend there who worked at the time in publishing. And I remember she said when Edge of Tomorrow came out 
and the fault in our stars beat it in its opening weekend. Like Edge of Tomorrow, I think made like 30 million. It did okay for an original sci-fi, but was kind of disappointing for the budget. And the fault in our stars obviously like made like 50 million and it was like a huge catastrophic hit. And I remember she was like, Tom Cruise's people are like reaching out, trying to figure out like why this happened, what's up with YA and like trying to like understand like, how to uh, like wrap their head around what happened and how to like learn from it. And I always think of stuff like that in the sense of that's the level that he's playing at, right? Like as his own brand, you know, he has to hit home runs basically. Like that's, that's, you know, so like a Top Gun Maverick is like, hopefully it'll buy him two American maids. And I think a lot of people are hoping that's what happens, but like, that's yeah. what he's that's what everybody who's involved in the Tom Cruise business this guy's making hundreds of millions of dollars on all of these properties if it's if they're successful and there's so much upfront money if you're in the Tom Cruise business that goes to him that like they need to make a crazy amount of money so you're so yeah. to the point of part 2 there was a little bit of more success, but this part that we're talking about now, this is more of a valley where it's like Jack Reacher never go back underperforms. The Mummy, I, so the Mummy underperforms. We'll talk about it though. It's a li- it's a little bit of a funny thing. It still makes four hundred million dollars, which I always think people kind of like forget. That, that I that, think has a little bit to do. I mean, I but we'll talk about but it. But still, that it, I think a, has a little bit to do with more like the general market at the time of like four 400- hundred. You can't make just four hundred million dollars. No, no, yeah, right. Like, that, that's true yeah. for the Mummy. That's totally true. And then, um, and then American Made, just a small movie that kind of just does modestly okay. But, but, um, I guess the what what is the the first movie is Jack Reacher too, right, Connor? Yeah, yeah. So you have Jack Reacher Never Go Back in twenty sixteen. Yeah, and you have twenty seventeen The Mummy, uh, and American Made, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and and so that that was that's kind of the run, like we said. Edge of Tomorrow happens in there. I I mean I think we didn't include it as a B side because it is probably it's beloved. Yeah, people, it's, love it. I, people yeah. like it. Yeah. I, I think I, nobody would really dispute its quality, really. Um, but but the thing that the thing that interested me about this period in particular, and and I guess your Rock of Ages episode is kind of slightly before, but in this zone too, is I think the last seventeen years of his career, you know, since War of the Worlds, has been an extremely fascinating uh, time to look at his career and the choices he's made and the stuff that's worked and and hasn't worked. And in light of kind of Top Gun Maverick, putting him on top, you know, if, if his next movie continues to be great, work with great filmmakers, you know, is great everything else will seem like a blip along the way. Um, So I thought this was kind of a really interesting moment to look back at perhaps, you know, arguably rock bottom, not just in terms of the quality of the movie themselves, but just in terms of kind of as what Dan was saying, which is, you know, one of, if not the world's biggest movie star, making movies that didn't feel like an event, you know? And so when you have a guy that's as talented and has a history, you know, as long as Tom Cruise, when he hits a double, it, it feels like, a waste of resources. And so I think maybe that's an interesting place to, to, to dive into the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. And so now Jack Reacher, never go back. Connor, you'll set us up for yeah, this. Sure. Um, the sequel. Go ahead. Yeah. So Jack Reacher, never go back. Uh, sequel to Jack Reacher um, came out in 2016 based on a book of the same name. Uh, it essentially were, you know, it, it were, 
picking up with Jack Reacher. He's just um, beat up some guys outside of a diner in sort of. I don't think they ever specify. Do good they? opening scene. Good opening yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They don't specify it's like where down, he, it's like down south. Yeah, and then it's, he, it's and then in he the south. Up in DC. Yeah, yeah. but basically, uh, he's in this diner. It's a good opening scene. The law enforcement comes in and they're like, "Hey, like." We, you know, they're about to take him in and he basically he has this fun little moment where he's like two things are about to happen in the next 60 seconds. So that phone's mm-hmm. going to ring and you're going to you're going to be wearing these handcuffs. Right. Um, and that is kind of the impetus, not just to reacquaint you with Jack Reacher in a, in a manner that I do particularly like because it does allow you to just jump right into it, um, which is something I, I do enjoy about this movie. But. Um, but it then brings you to Kobe Smulders, who is a major in the army and Jack Reacher was working with her because it turns out the law enforcement that tried to arrest him in the beginning were trafficking illegal immigrants and using them for basically slave labor uh, and sex work on military grounds, which is why Mm -hmm. Kobe Smulders had jurisdiction. From there, you get kind of for, this. for the listeners at home. Dan is high fiving his infant son while Connor's describing this. <laughs> From there, Reacher is starting to just get to know Susan Turner while he's kind of continuously on the road. He checks in with her. You get the idea. They spark up this sort of over the phone relationship, and then finally, he makes his way to D.C. to pay her a visit, and she has been relieved of her of her command. Um, so he walks in to find, uh, Holt McElhenney, who is basically, yeah, is, has basically taken over for Kobe Smulders and is essentially now roped into this whole thing that involves like treason. Yeah. It's, it's, it's high crimes basically. And so he's, it, it kind of is just this, uh, from there, he winds up having to find Susan Turner. They go on the run. And in the midst of this, um, they come across this young girl who's played by Danica Yarosh. Her name's uh, Samantha. And we're sort of quickly introduced to the fact that Samantha may or may not be Jack Reacher's biological daughter. So what ensues from there as they try and go on the run and track down this one witness um, that can potentially sort of prove Susan Turner's innocence slash get to the bottom of this uh, of this company called Paracor. Uh, sort yeah, of I mean, it just becomes paramilitary organization. That's yeah. kind of what it is. The one. Yep standout thing in this movie that's sort of strange is it becomes this like pseudo family road road movie delivered through jack i think what's funny about it is ed zwick directed it and when you read that you go like okay you know zwick's a a kind of like i i i'd say like an above average workman director kind of producer first director um I've I've liked a lot of his films, Courage Under Fire, Glory, The Last Samurai with Cruz, obviously, About Last Night, produced 30-something, right? Whatever. When you read he's doing the sequel to Jack Reacher, you go like, oh, what's that going to look like? And when the family thing gets introduced, you go like, oh, well, 
Okay. Right. Like, I, I can understand why Zwick felt he could tackle this material. Not that he hasn't directed, like, you know, a military thrill, the siege, for God's sake, right? He's done these things. He did Courage Under Fire, too. Courage right? Under Fire, yeah. the siege, and Glory are all like military dramas yeah. of different ilk. So it's he's very comfortable in this space, but it's like he's almost like combining like family drama and like military, you know, social military commentary in one thing. And it doesn't really fit. I mean, I kind of softly defend this movie. I think, you know, I've read a few of the Lee Child books. This is one of the weaker of the books that I've read. I never really understood how this was the one they adapted. Um, I would love to understand why of all the books. I'd like, be curious like to know more. if Zwick came first, you know, like because I think that it was almost McCoy, would make the most sense I, to me. Well, you know, sure. Like, I I don't know, though, because Cru- it's Cruz's like franchise. At right. This so point. he's going to so, find whoever he wants. Right. I, yeah. I wonder if like McCoy can't do it. And it's just like, OK, I know it's Wick from that other one. Right. Because The Last Samurai was a big success worldwide. I mean, you know, I think that's kind of an underrated success in Cruz's career when he kind of could do no wrong. That was kind of right towards the end of that. Um, And and I really look, I really like. I really like The Last Samurai. So, um, you know, I think I've liked a lot of what Zwick does, but it doesn't really work, right? I mean, Corey, what do you think? This movie's not really, you weren't loving this, right? You, we, we were talking Can I ask about you for just a, do you like the first Jack Reacher? Not that you, you need, know. not that you need to. You don't like the first one? No, I don't. Oh, come on. Uh, so. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen it since, uh, I think I saw a press screening. I think that was the tail end of me still. Uh, doing a little bit of writing about movies. Um, but yeah, haven't seen it since. I remember it having a distinctly like 1970s, like yeah. made for TV movie vibe. that oh, was like oh, very wow. much not at all what I expected from it. Um, so I guess that made it kind of interesting. I but it's give it, not can one... I just say, give, give it a rewatch. It's not one that I've revisited. I was actually surprised because when I went to look it up because I, I got like halfway into this new movie, Jack Reacher, Never Stop, Never Stopping. And I kept Classic going, title. God, Kobe Smulders, like, when does Rosamund Pike show up? Because I'm pretty yeah. sure. Right, right. And then I had to look it up and go, oh, no, wait, she was in the other one. Yeah. And then when I was looking it up, I was like, the thing about the sequel is it, I, I don't know for a fact, but it definitely seems like they had to trim the budget and try for a more they, modestly they scaled version of the movie. not only definitely had to, they did. It, it, yeah. It made, now I will say. Again, sort of like Dan mentioned with the $400 million thing with the mummy, right? Like this movie's similar in that its budget to box office ratio is not like necessarily flop. Yeah, yeah, not necessarily some disaster. It's just a disaster when you're in the Tom Cruise business, right? Right. And, and right. so. And- the kind of yeah, f- filming in uh, Baton Rouge and New Orleans, subbing in for DC, and then even the cast looking up, you're going, okay, this is Kobe Smulders and Holt McElhaney and Aldous Hodge, you know, good young upcoming actors, you know, for the most part, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. And the first movie was Werner Herzog and Robert Duvall and Rosamund Pike and uh, Richard Jenkins and yeah, and so you're like. Oh, they really scaled back on this. Movie. Yeah, we talk about that a little bit in our in our in our first uh, or part two is that with the first Jack Reacher, one of the strongest suits about it is that Macquarie's smart enough to populate the frame with really great character actors and Cruz is smart enough as a leading man to like, let them do their thing. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately he, he doesn't have that help in this one. Yeah. And that's, and like, not to, I mean, look, Holt McElhinney is great. 
right? And so I think I do think he's like a very good addition to this generally um it, it's not even so much as whether they're good actors or not it, in some cases it's just kind of like when you have a star as big as tom cruise it's actually weird to see them in the frame with what could be you know day players on a, on sure. a tv show yeah Do you know what i mean like yeah, regardless of the point. kind of talent involved it's like you'd expect him to be surrounded like you look at you know for a point of comparison you know a brad pitt or a leonardo dicaprio in a once one time in hollywood and you look at the cast you're going like they are surrounded with other huge actors doing great work even in small roles and even in even in maverick he's opposite jennifer Connolly, right like it's right and that's, and that's part of what makes it work a little bit right like I think my big thing with this movie, because I, I, two things, right? One, Macquarie in the first one has such a command of more than one sequence. I won't go into it. I went into it on part two. You can listen to that, right? And Zwick just isn't the same kind of director with that stuff. Edward Zwick, well, Zwick is a, is yeah, a perf- he's, he's a perfectly fine director in many other ways. Yeah. He just... The thing that is appealing about the first one is absent from this one because Edward Zwick isn't that kind of filmmaker, right? Yeah, he screams not, second unit for yeah. the action scenes, whether or not that's yeah, true. Yeah, no, 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 right, right, like. right. Yeah, and yeah. It, it feels like yeah. weirdly, even when you look at the numbers and you see that they cut the budget, it seems that they unfortunately cut it from all the moments that should matter. Like, there are things that I like, again, I, I think the movie overall... And me, I know you're a little more forgiving than I am, Dan, but I think we do agree on like the sort of nebulous idea of what this movie is swinging for. I like and I think is clever. Like, I like the idea of like, oh, let's take this drifter and let's put him in a like found family movie and and see how that plays like that, I think, is a clever interesting idea i think weirdly maybe and i said this to you off mic dan i think it's something that maybe you should try for like a third jack reacher movie and not a second one but because i do think it's yeah all- it just and it's antithetical to like i just the thing the problem with these movies you know you know people who love the books always had a problem with the fact that tom cruise is five seven and in the book jack reacher's six five I, whatever. I don't really care about that because I think Tom Cruise plays to it. But, but, but. Right. That was, that was tough for a lot of the fans. And then I think with Never Go Back, it's the thing of like, and I feel like Macquarie even said this in an interview. I would have to find it. But like, because Macquarie gets a producer credit on it. Right. He, I think he said something that uh, akin to what you just said, Connor, where it's like, in this movie, Jack Reacher is doing is is doing and is forced to do very un Jack Reacher like things. Yeah. If you know the character, so it's like you got to really love that first movie and buy into the cruise. And, and I just feel like they to, weren't. And I feel like they weren't there yet. Soon. I think if yeah. they, I think if they, I agree with you. Yeah. If they sort of and granted, whatever, rested on their laurels a little bit or whatever. But I think if they just skewed closer to the first one and just delivered a second outing of something that like. People like generally performs well enough in a theater and murders on VOD and at home, right? Which is what the first Jack Reacher did, right? I think you get that two in a row. Maybe you get the license to make this one and people go, oh, that's kind of interesting, right? Like you get a little bit of grace or whatever. 
But even in what you're describing is such a case of like managed, lowered expectations. So my take is sort of like if, if this exact movie starred Jai Courtney, you know, who's in the first one, but as Jack Reacher, you'd be like, it was fine. You know, it well, was totally and, fine. But the fact you're, that the show people love the show. Right. Right. But the yeah. fact That's that it's belongs, Tom Cruise yeah. and that, you know, he's too good for it, like makes it kind of depressing to watch because it's low rent. It's by the numbers. And I think like he was maybe hoping, you know, with the second movie, he could have a, you know, a Bourne or a Mark Wahlberg type extra franchise outside of Mission Impossible. And it like it just it doesn't work. And I think he's, you know, regardless of his size, how he's described in the book, Cruise is miscast, not because he's not six and a half feet tall but because he's not a tough guy do you know what i mean like that's just not yeah. he he's miscast because he does not pull off being the guy who turns around says the badass thing and throws a guy through a window tom cruise is great when he has a burning intensity when his back is up against the wall when he is you know scrambling to get through the situation tom cruise is not clint eastwood do you know what i mean like and him being cast as this character i think is sort of a fundamental misread of his own star persona and i think that's as i watch these three movies which work to varying degrees um i think the thing that they all have in common is he's sort of miscast in all three of them which we can get into as as we go down the line i think part of that though because i i would slightly disagree because i do think he i do think he handles it well in the first jack reacher but i do think that to your point, maybe he is reaching the limits in that movie of how much he can pull this character off. And like Dan said, because he's asked to do very like unjack Reacher things in this movie and it's supposed yeah. to lean sensitive. It sort of betrays those instincts. Um, I think the, I think the Mardi Gras ending is kind of cool. Like, well, I, I was going to say the the, yeah. Mar, the Mardi Gras ending. Yeah, I think works with like the the heavy coming back. Yeah, um, but but the. <laughs> the airport hangar like robert nepper getting caught oh dude it's insane i mean it's insane look robert nepper who shows up literally in the scene before that scene too like it's like hang on yeah yes yes and i defend this movie i generally like it um in the world of movies i like but that might be the worst scene Tom Cruise has ever like been a party to. Like that <laughs> scene is just like you could teach that scene in a screenwriting course as like a don't do this because what happens in that scene and we won't even get we're not going to get into the nitty gritty, but the whole conspiracy is unraveled in that scene. It's like a Scooby-Doo scene. Li- yeah. It's literally like a Scooby-Doo scene yeah. where it's like Tom Cruise is like, well, he knew about this and then you did this yeah. and then you did and this. The diff- and then Robert Nepper's just like, you got me. And you're like, what? He's yeah, going yeah. It's, in- it's insane. Like, and like, and the, the, um, it's so bad. The, what's it called? The, and not to keep comparing because they're not the same filmmaker, but I do think the lack of McQuarrie here is the huge difference because like yeah. Chris McQuarrie as a writer and as a director would not let that happen. And the, re- I and the reason I, mean, I know that is because yeah. like the mission movies he's worked on, right? When you read about how those get made or whatever, or hear him talk about how those get made, they they are so cobbled together, right? But he's like a smart enough filmmaker to know to like cobble them together in a way that's still... Even if it doesn't make sense, it moves at a clip and it moves at a level that makes it okay. Where like this movie doesn't have that, right? Like, I think Top Maverick is a good example of like there are so many moments in Top Gun Maverick that should 
crumble in in all of what it's meant to live up to and has to answer for and all of these things. And somehow they really avoid it. And not only do they avoid it, they like set up all of the next moments in the film, which is such an impressive feat of writing, especially at that high blockbuster level. And I think, Corey, to your larger point, like it just seems like they ran out of money, they ran out of time, they ran out of effort and in, in never go back. And so you really, yeah, you're right, Connor. You get to a point where you feel like nobody really wanted to solve the problem at the airport hangar. And so you just have this, and look, what's the Howard Hawks quote, right? A great film is three, you know, three great scenes and no bad ones. And I think, I think you can find three really good scenes in this movie. I do. I think you can. I, think, I agree. You know, I think, you know, the, the scene, in the, you know, like, the scene in the, on the plane where he beats up the guys, that's, but nobody yeah, notices fun, yeah, the opening scene. The, I do Amari think toward, thing, towards but, the end yeah. when he's on the rooftop, you can sort of see him come alive for yeah. a moment when he's pissed and he's intense and he's scrambling. And, and that's when I was like, like, oh, that's Tom Cruise. Even that yeah, amazing I agree, moment. I that. Yeah. I, and I remember feeling this way when it happened. But I do. Th- and this this, I will say, feels like a Macquarie thing because it reminded me of the slow car chase uh, in Way of the Gun. But like when they go off of the roof and then the final fight is not some frenetic you know, intense yeah, they can barely fist fight. Get they can yeah. both barely move because they just fell off a roof. I remember thinking like. Oh, that's a good idea. Like, great. Like, I remember thinking like, oh, that's great. And I think, yeah, I don't know. That's the problem is like when the movie comes alive, it's only got fucking five minutes left or whatever, you know. Um, Just maybe maybe start to wrap up on this one. It's just like the the thing that occurred to me is kind of what I was saying is it just it just felt it's not that it's the worst movie in the world. It's just for a guy who can be as great as Tom Cruise can be and who has been, you know, as big of a movie star for as long as he has. It's, it's sort of deflating to see, um, you know, someone with, uh, basically like Tom Cruise movies should be an event and he is a precious natural resource. So when he's not used wisely, it just feels like such a waste. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. you see how like Brad Pitt movies, you know, they don't always work like bullet train was okay, but you see how he's kind of <laughs> deploying his, his persona, even in like the Babylon trailer or in right, Time sure. in Hollywood. And you're going, Oh, he's working with people who know how to take the aura of Brad Pitt and play off of that. And sure. so to see Tom yeah. Cruise be so pedestrian in a movie that feels so by the numbers is, is just kind of depressing. I mean, there's not a world that I'll ever inhabit in which I'm going to watch bullet train before I watch never go back again. But your point is can, well taken. Can I offer um, one counterpoint before we move on? <laughs> Yeah. I, yes, I, no, no, no. I think that's. I think that's all basically. But correct. Connor, after this, we never go. No, back. we're done. Okay. We never go back. We never go back. We'll never speak of it again. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I will say no. I think that's all basically correct. I think the reason I am a little warmer, even than I was when I saw it, if I'm being honest. But I think the reason I'm a little warmer on this movie now is 2020 hindsight and the fact that like Fallout is great and Mavericks a success and like you know like this thing of like oh no he's like still got it and it'll still and like there'll still be better things knowing that you're on the other side of the the canyon exactly where where I can be like yeah where I can say yeah it's not great but like it has things you know Um, can I just read you one line that I had to write down because I thought it was so (laughs) overwritten I I believe this is Holt McElhaney uh, to Tom Cruise kind of dressing him down in his office a little bit he says 
you're like something feral. You've got their scent in your nose and you want blood. And I was just like, woof city on that one. Can I tell you, there's probably a 98% chance that's directly from the book and ever go back. Oh, I was, I thought you were going to say it was a Macquarie line. <laughs> no, he didn't write this. That's the thing. I feel like well, that's part of the yeah, credit. He call, credited, he call, but yeah, come on. yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah John okay. Milius say, hey, man, we need a script. Right, script. Right. We need a monologue for tomorrow. Sure. <laughs> um, all right. So now that's never go ne- back. The next year we have the mummy. Now, I don't want to speak out of school here, but <laughs> the movies, the director is credited as Alex Kurtzman. But um, I think it's like, so in the film world, I feel like it's softly common knowledge that Tom Cruise directed this movie. Do you know about this, Corey? I, I won't necessarily name names, but Dan and I, you, you and I personally have it on like somewhat decent, somewhat of a somewhat decent authority. Yeah, I was there. I uh, saw confirmation. Yes, that Thomas Mathiper Cruise basically called action and cut on this movie, The Mummy. Now, make of <laughs> well, that what you will. Well, Tom, I'll make I'll make of it that directing is not his strong well, suit because as Tom, I rewatch so, this, so this, yeah. is, so this was the this thing. seems when, to be rock bottom Dan for and Tom I, Cruise, the actor. Dan and yeah. I, so, Dan and okay. I, when speaking to this person, we asked, we were like, "Hey, we've always kind of heard the rumor that he like right. he, he basically it, yeah. d- directed the Mummy. Is that true?" And this person's response was, "Well, somebody had to." That's what he said. So, so this is what I would say. I think. If you think of if you have that context, you know, whatever you're willing to give that credence, I think he did a great job. Right. Like in the sense of just you got to steer a ship to a port and they were really kind of haranguing in this dark universe thing. Right. We already know these stories. Shout out Matt Patches on Twitter. God bless. We, we love the dark universe bit. You know, we, and we and we love you. And I think. When you know that context of kind of what Universal was trying to do and they kind of, you know, Johnny Depp was going to be Invisible Man and what was it? Javier Bardem was going to be either the Doctor or Frankenstein, you know, and you uh, had the this Doctor kind of, is Frankenstein. Dan, no, you know what I mean? So. The monster or whatever. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and um, who is the other? Oh, Crow. Crow's in this movie. Crow's going to be uh, Dr. And wasn't, Jekyll uh, There was also like a. I like I think Jessica Chastain was going to be like the bride of Frankenstein or something. That was like a whatever. That was like <laughs> right. she wasn't the, in the, the photo. She was, yeah, she's not, she's not she's not in the Photoshop photo. But so anyway, Alex Kurtzman credited director, screenplay credited to David Cap, Chris McQuarrie, and Dylan Cussman, who is Gary from in the Jack Reacher one <laughs> in the first Jack Reacher. He's Gary from. The, he's also in Maverick, right? He's Did in he? he's in Maverick for a scene for a second. No, 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 not Maverick. He's in. Um, He's in another movie um, where he has like one line. Oh, no, he's in The Mummy. He's in The Mummy. Oh, yeah. is he? Oh, as yeah. like a security guard, right? That's, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's he's got like a line. Anyway, Cussman, longtime friend of Macquarie, Dylan Cussman's in The Way of the Gun, what have you. He's His breakout role was in Dead Poet Society. Anyway, so credited to them, John Spates, Jenny Lumet, uh, original scripts, story credit, whatever. A lot of hands. Chris Morgan produced it, who's the Fast and Furious guy. I won't really talk much about the plot. So it's just Tom Cruise is uh, an Indiana Jones type. His red-hand man is Jake Johnson. They're soldiers of they're fortune. In, they're in Mesopotamia, now called... Iraq. What is it? Now, Iraq. Yeah. Which, okay. And they, they go into... 
hostile territory, soldiers of fortune, right? They go into hostile territory to try to find a treasure. And instead, they unleash evil upon the world in the form of a mummy. Played by um, Sophia Batella, who I actually, I actually like in this movie. I, I like, I, lo- I love I her in Kingsman, and I think she's yeah. pretty good in this. I agree. And I think, and then what you get is basically the mummies unleashed on a plane that's traveling it back to London. They have a plane crash. Tom Cruise dies. Jake Johnson's already been killed. Um, and he's like an infected and like a zombie person on the plane. He kills Courtney B. Vance, who got a, hopefully got a nice paycheck. And then <laughs> the rest of the movie just kind of becomes like an American werewolf in London thing. Right. Where Cruz has the curse of the mummy, and Corey's, Corey's rolling his eyes. But well, I'm not. But, I'm no, not but that's it as a the, that is the mechanic. Right? It's, yeah, it's, it's definitely what, what they're is. trying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're doing that, and yeah. then it's like Jake Johnson's dead, following him around, blah blah blah, and he's getting chased. Cruz is getting chased by the mummy. And yep. he's got to beat the mummy. They got to get a um, dagger. There's a dagger. It's and got, Annabelle. Yeah. Annabelle Wallace is is the love interest, quote unquote. Yeah. Everybody's everybody's <laughs> way younger. Love everybody's way younger than Cruz. <laughs> At one point, Crow, who plays Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, spoiler alert, refers to Cruz's character Nick Morton as a younger man, which is insane because he's Tom two Cruz years older older yes than russell crow but um and speak, speaking to the miscasting this is this is at no, the heart no, of it I, so here's the thing i am i gonna am i gonna be the one that defends this movie like a little no no i look i look go I, on my letterbox I'll, here's the deal i'll go go on uh, no, 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 dude. I'm the original defender <laughs> of this movie. I, when I saw this movie in theaters, I reviewed it for the film stage. You can read my review. I was at the press screening. I was walking out of it like that was all right. That was like yeah. my total I, opinion. Now, of here's, it. And every other critic walked out being like, "What a fucking piece!" It's of very. And I, I was like, I oh, feel man, very. I'm way wrong. I feel very similarly to it. I feel the same way towards this movie, kind of that I do towards Never Go Back, where it's like it has things in it that even on a rewatch, I'm like, "This is good." Like this piece of this thing is good. Like I do think the setup of the Tom Cruise character and Jake Johnson character. I would watch that movie, right? Mm. Like them being soldiers of fortune, just doing stuff, right? Sure. I think he's wildly miscast, as you as you mentioned, Corey. I think yep. that's I don't even think anyone like even I mean, if there are people who are diehards for this movie or whatever, but I do th- like I don't think anyone would dispute that. It shouldn't be him. But I do think it is him. Nothing we could do about that, right? And I do think he gives a relatively like charismatic and affable performance. Like he's not phoning it in. He's like doing a thing. Now, I think if that doesn't overcome the hurdle of him being like too old for the role or whatever, that's another story. But I do think he's I don't think he's giving a bad performance, really. And I I even asked you, Dan, off mic, kind of like I actually don't know 
when the well you you and I Dan pinpointed it that it might be far and away might be the answer to this question of like when was the last not that the last time he was in a bad movie or wasn't a right fit or whatever but wasn't the last time he gave like a bad performance right right far and away comes to mind and, that, and that, that's like that's where I got to when I was like kind of going back to it because Rock of Ages I know Corey I know you re- you watched he's very it. good I watched it I watched he, it for the first time just oh, as yeah. kind of background he's for this good. I he's had never seen it, right? that he's good in Rock of Ages I do think yeah i i kind of went into this project thinking you know that rock of ages probably was his rock bottom and i watched the movie and i thought he's actually pretty funny you know i i think uh you know not to go into it because i know you just did in your last episode but i think that um he's pretty good in that i think he's actually better at that character than as his tropic thunder character who i know got a lot more attention of like, we love Tom Cruise doing this zany thing. And then Rock of Ages kind of got shit on of like, this is so embarrassing. I think the main problem in Rock of Ages is I think he would have been great as that character in three scenes. And the problem is that character is like a third of the movie. So I think they lean on it a little too much and the joke kind of gets a little thinner. But I think if he had come in for three killer scenes and been sprinkled, you know, over the first half as like, you know, the, the guy in Empire Records, like he's coming, he's coming. And then he finally gets there and he gets to do his Tom Cruise rock star thing. I think that would have been uh, more successful. But I, I sort of had fun with Rock of Ages more than I expected to. Yeah. And I think, look, it would be hard to. It would be hard to def- to disagree with this being kind of the biggest whiff of his latter day career, right? Obviously you have things like the mummy I'm talking about, because obviously you have things like legend, which totally missed and like is a cult classic now, but you know, legend missed when he was younger and, you know, um, there aren't really a lot of examples. It's kind of crazy, but like far and away wasn't really a hit. So you have a few examples earlier on, but this really feels like the look, bring it back to the thing about fault in our stars and edge of tomorrow. That, the, yeah. the mummy, the mummy feels like, Tom Cruise trying to capture the pulse of what's cool yeah. and being yep. old. I think yep. and not, and yep. not really and That's, not really understanding yep. like he was like, you oh, know, cinematic universes are a thing. Right. But oh, I yeah, don't want to like, but I don't want to like, be a superhero. So what's like some adjacent exactly. thing we can do? I will say, and I've always maintained this since this movie came out, the one bummer about I, I admittedly this movie not I think can I say I think Crow is great in this movie. Yeah, I think I think he's I, fun. I love Crow. I think he's fun. Jack I think he's fun. I, I thought that I, that would have been a good movie. Um, I think that just reminded me to get to another point, but I'm going to finish this one first. I think, unfortunately, obviously, that's you know, admittedly, this movie's not very good. But the biggest sort of thing for me about it not being very good is like this is probably the one cinematic universe I would have enjoyed. Like right, like that's, if we're cash, if we're cashing in on IP and that's the world right. that we live in. The idea idea of this being a cinematic universe, I'm kind of like, this is sort of fun. Isn't Gosling, aren't they trying to get with Gosling? I think they're all not connected, though. I think they're just, I think now they're just just making new versions of them. Mm. That 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 was going to be my hot take. My hot take is: guess what? I don't think a dark universe is a terrible idea. No, I think the, I would, ex- I think I the mean, execution look. is terrible, but the idea of yeah. doing the Universal Monsters again, sure, why not? Yeah, we yeah. did in the nineties. You know, like I look, Corey, have you ever watched Penny Dreadful? 
No, no, I haven't. Penny Dreadful's like the the original run of that show is like sort of some version of that kind of. It's not the Universal Monsters per se because it's the, yeah. the you know the classic thing. It's the it. literary. Yeah, it's the yeah. literary versions, but it's kind of. I feel like it's the best version of this kind of thing that we've come to, and I I since I well love- you're Corey, you're right though. I gotta say, in um, Coppola was gonna do it. Right. So so people don't I don't I don't think a lot of people know this really, but Coppola was going to do it in the 90s. Right. He did Bram Stoker's Dracula and then he was going to do Frankenstein, but then passed, gave it to Brana and Brana like took that thing over and exploded it so badly and pissed Coppola off so much in the process. And the movie flopped so hard (laughs) that Coppola and everybody else is like, you know what? bad idea and they just like didn't keep making them and then and then you had van helsing after the mummy right which and it's but it is it does make me sad because it is it it is a universe that i and i think i don't even think anybody would disagree i think generally people who like movies like that collected shared thing they like these characters so i don't think it's a terrible idea to the brain to the russell crowe at all that sequence the thing that maddened me the most about it on the rewatch is so Tom Cruise, he gets cursed and he's invulnerable, basically, right? He like he like can't be killed, right? Seems it seems like he, the rules are nebulous. It seems like he can feel pain, but he but he can't, sure. he's undead to some degree, right? And Crow's like throwing him around, and I'm like, well, okay, I get that it hurts, but like he doesn't need to do anything here. Like he could just tire Crow out until he b- turns back to dr jekyll or some shit like there's no danger in this that's, scene and, and that's the, the, the whole movie there's yeah. there's no stakes there's no yeah. weight to anything the, there's, there's CG a mummies being mowed down with there's like a little bit of action a, there, there's no danger i would di- i would slightly yeah, disagree. It's, a fa- it's a fatal flaw i would slightly sure. disagree in a couple scenes they navigate the th- it's the superman problem right but like they do navigate the thing where the stakes aren't him getting hurt the stakes are him stopping her from getting hurt or killed or whatever right and that's fine i think a huge problem and dan you made the joke about the questionable love interest thing or whatever but like i think the overall arc character arc that this movie's attempting of like oh he's a shitty dude and a bad person and the irony being he becomes a monster but in the process becomes a good person right Not the worst arc on paper sounds fine, right? But like none of it clicks because they don't have any chemistry and you don't, you know, you know, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz in The Mummy 99, they are not, right? Like you just don't, it it never really clicks that way. But um, yeah, I I have a lot of of thoughts about this movie, which I, I would almost wager that the three of us are the only people on planet earth who have seen it twice now have we all is that true for all of us i also I've saw seen it in the theater i've seen it three times now okay I saw well it then once you're in the theater you're one I've of definitely one. i've definitely rewatched it before this rewatch so okay um well i, I to, to try and say a few nice things about it i think this sophia batella intro is pretty good before they get to the tom cruise Agreed. stuff i think Agreed. some of the location shooting in the beginning looks pretty good you know especially compared to now how it, most things are green screened instead of going somewhere um and i think the zero g stunt they do on the airplane 
um, Great scene. is pretty cool, but I think it's a little bit undercut by every time they cut to the exterior of the plane, which is so clearly CG yeah. that it sort of makes you disbelieve what you're seeing inside the plane, even though you read about it and you're like, no, they really did the stunt on the interior. So it's a little bit in the execution there. But again, I, I think it's really comes down to as we're saying, Tom Cruise being miscast and kind of fundamentally misunderstanding. I think part of this is what we've already gotten into, which is the age difference. Okay. So it, it's, it's not that he can't have a younger love interest or still be an action star because of course he can. It's that the movie has to acknowledge this. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's sure. like he is 16 years older than Jake Johnson, 22 years older than Annabelle Wallace, but it um, should be like Channing Tatum or somebody, but the like, movie's not acknowledging this at all. And, and the reason that Top Gun Maverick works is because the movie is about the generational clash. He is the older guy. He is being pushed out and he's having to prove I mean, that he's still the, the best. Even the later Mission Impossible movies to an extent, right, become right. about Exactly. That, right? And, about and like, I think if yeah. you acknowledge that, yeah. the audience can get on board and have a good time. I think the hardest thing is seeing, you know, Tom Cruise at, you know, 55 plus years old kind of, you know, playing sprightly and you're going no 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 this doesn't this doesn't work i'm not buying this and it's hurting the movie and it's not that as i said it's like clint eastwood can be a tough older guy he can have a younger love interest but the movie must acknowledge his age and i think it's the cruise movies in this period he's fighting against acknowledging his age in the movies which really makes it more uncomfortable for the audience to go on the ride i think it's also a thing where just tonally um, the cruise is Indiana Jones, you know, in the opening, it's like Indiana Jones as directed by like Michael Bay in a war zone. It's like the opening with him and Jake Johnson running around shouting quips at each other, which is, you know, as Tom Cruise, you know, might tell Matt Lauer, it feels glib. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel fun. It doesn't feel enjoyable. It feels like it feels glib. And yeah, there is something... <laughs> There is something off-putting about like they're running into a, a war to right like to steal treasure well, right. It's like so, I, I agree with you. No, a little but bit. but yeah. here's the thing. I think if the if if that like I said before, like I would watch that movie like a movie that sure. actually addresses. And I know we made fun of the little title card that comes up where it's like Mesopotamia, otherwise known as Iraq. But what's crucial to that title card is is the joke, because the Iraq thing doesn't show up until a bunch of bullet holes riddle some priceless antiquated ruin. Right. Like and so that's the kind of thing I, for instance, to compare it to kind of a similarly very flawed movie in, in a whatever the same sort of genre the one gimmick or joke in the Uncharted movie, have we all – I know, Dan, you've seen it. Corey, have you seen I've it? I've seen it. Absolutely don't, not. Yeah, don't ever watch it. You'll hate it. It's fine. The one gimmick in that movie that works is everywhere they go is charted. Like the idea that like, yeah, like we think of these things as like – Nowhere is uncharted or whatever, anymore. Nowhere right, right. is untouched. Yeah, it, it, and, is the, it is the cleverest thing about yeah, the yeah. movie. Yeah, and I, I do – and earnestly, I'm not even being smug or no, whatever no, no. about that. Like, right. it's a right. good, that's a good idea. So, no, and it's, I think, it's the best thing about and the movie. And I think, yep. I think this is kind of a piece of that of like, yeah, no, like Indiana Jones is a fucking colonizing grave robber, right? Like – like and so the sure. idea that yeah. okay let's take that character let's make him some shitty reconnaissance soldier of fortune who is like you know 
an unlikable character, basically a Cameron Crowe lead, right? Something like, you know, like just this like person mm-hmm. who's a bad guy with a terrible job. I like that idea. I just don't think, and I think this movie is clearly attempting to like thread that through in some way. It just doesn't do it successfully. Well, it's funny. Never go back in the mummy have similar problems in that respect where they're trying to thread too many needles. It's true. Agreed. Agreed. One last thing aesthetically I did like about the movie as sort of an attempt is I did sort of appreciate their aesthetic attempt to adapt the hammer mummy as opposed to the universal mummy because they bring it to England almost immediately, which if you've seen the Peter Cushing hammer horror version of the mummy, that's basically also what happens. Um, just a fun attempt. I thought at like trying a different vein of, of a version that had been done basically. Um, I have so many more thoughts on this. I'm sorry, you guys, <laughs> but <laughs> you want to just b- wrap the fire them off. I, and then I'm we'll just going to start going. So yeah. I think that, Horror comedy is one of the trickiest tonal things to pull off. And as you mentioned, obviously, they're trying to do a riff on the American werewolf in London of the talking to his best friend, the corpse. But the, the that movie has such a kind of, you know, cutting darkness to it that those scenes really play and are really darkly funny. And I think when you're kind of defanging them, for lack of a better term, and putting them in this, you know, edges sanded off blockbuster it really just doesn't work at all and i think there's there's a scene towards the end with like a tense encounter with the mummy uh you know with tom cruise and he's kind of mugging and making these faces we're just going like what is the tone of this movie like i i think it wants to sort of be a comedy throughout but it just really never lands on it and i i think it just fails spectacularly as a comedy and it's when he has yeah, he has yeah. that line at the end where he's like, it's just never going to happen. Like, yes, I wrote, I wrote that down. Yeah, I'm sorry, not we're great, just never going to happen. A, it's not, not me, it's moment. you. Yeah, <laughs> Would have been, yeah. I mean, but I think part of the overall problem, right? Like, would have maybe been a more, success, same way, same delivery. Channing Tatum saying it would be Right, funnier. a younger, a right. younger, more heartthrobby man delivered. Right. And, like, uh, if it's Ryan Gosling saying that to a mom. Efron yeah, or Yeah, right, you know. any of those, it's, and, you know... Uh, yeah, and I, I think that, um, I mean, that's part of what being a movie star is. It's having charisma. It's knowing your strengths. It's your taste in projects has, and the roles that you choose. I think he has the charisma, though. That's the one thing. I just think... Oh, it's, I, I think it, it's not working for I don't think he's all. incapable here. I think he's doing all the things, and I think he's doing them fine. But to your point, Corey, I do think he is just visibly too old, right? That That it just doesn't... Yeah, it, it's it's it, it can't be overcome, but I don't think it's I guess to my point about it, I don't think it's a bad performance. Like, I don't think he's like phoning it in. I don't think I think he is like earnestly giving it, you know, what he's got. Um, yes, but I think it, it it never works. And I think that the um, I think that the, the Brendan Fraser mommy, um, which I saw a couple months ago at the New Beverly, had I seen just it in a long time. Re- I saw it at the Alamo. It was great. It's old-fashioned in kind of the best way and the thing when you're watching this movie is it's modern in all the worst ways you know it takes that kind that's of a great, glib yeah, a good action michael bay you know steroid aesthetic and tries to transplant it onto this mummy movie and the thing that is so enjoyable about brendan fraser is it does feel like indiana jones it feels like an old-fashioned adventure yeah. and this clearly wants to feel like a hip modern you know uh action comedy horror movie and it just fails at all of those things so it's like 
both creatively bankrupt and poorly executed. Like the crow scene comes an hour into the movie and essentially, you know, for whatever you think of his performance, stops the movie for 20 minutes. Do you know what I mean? So they can get well, into and the- Well, and his basic end is like the end of the movie almost. Like it's, we, we haven't said like this movie's under two hours, which is insane. Yeah. Right? Like- Right. We talked about this, right? It's like an hour 48 or oh, something yeah, it's like that. Way, like, way under yeah, two it's hours. Like not, it's not even like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not like even 100 like, minutes long. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Which, 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 which I did appreciate. Yeah, it helps. But helps. It, I agree. But what they do, basically, what they do is what you learn is um, Dr. Jekyll is funding every single thing that's happening in the movie. So, like, like, Annabelle Wallace, um, is working directly for Dr. Jekyll. And on the side, Dr. Jekyll has commissioned Tom Cruise to also try to find this treasure. And then Annabelle Wallace and Tom Cruise collide both after the same thing with different ends and then learn at this point that you're referencing, Corey, that their employer is the same person and he's Dr. Jekyll and he's Mr. Hyde yeah. and he injects himself it, with the thing and he runs this, co- the this big corporation the and movie. here are the Easter eggs from the Do movies you, that we're not going to make. Right. right. So it's, I, that's, so it's, the, that's the yeah, biggest I think pitfall. This, I, think. I, I think the scene betwixt Cruz and Crow is actually kind of fun in the sense of like Cruz really play is like diminutive to Crow and it's funny. I think it's like Crow plays it hard. Cruz plays it soft. I think there's a lot of physical comedy there that works. But to the point, bring it back to what we were saying earlier, it also contextually is, is, an, is a nothing burger because you know that Cruz can't die. And so that doesn't help. And then it has the thing of the obligatory of the mummy breaks out because of the dumbest reason of like the most impossibly dumb reasons that, you know, you would ever let a mummy break out, you know, that would never happen, blah, blah, blah. And then it immediately sprints to the finale of the movie, which I do like where the movie gets to. And I think if more people had seen this movie, like we've talked about the universe that they were planning to create, um, could have been interesting. I guess the invisible man element with depth probably would have been, a problem but but like just as an idea um it was interesting and hey that mads logo? mickelson as colin farrell as johnny <laughs> depp is the invisible man <laughs> uh they've got ways around that um i i would just say that yeah i wish you, you never get the sense watching this movie that anyone involved with this movie including tom cruise including whoever directed it likes monsters do you know what i mean like has Mm -hmm. any interest in this world whatsoever do you know what i mean and so like you know you read about like oh if they had you know given the keys of this idea to guillermo del toro or someone who has a passion for this material like maybe it could have been something interesting or you think about how they maybe would have worked together on you know at the mountains of madness and which is still just such a tragedy to me that that never happened i i just kind of have this resentment towards you know uh, movie stars like a Will Smith or a Tom Cruise, who you see sort of abandoning the auteurs that they used to work with in search of chasing this box office at all costs. You know what I mean? And when you see them kind of doubling down on these blockbusters in hopes that they're going to pay off for them and not kind of interchanging with the Michael Manns and the what have you's in between, 
I, I start to get a little bit itchy. And I, I here it's like, it, it, I think it, I, I think the reason it felt much more than Rock of Ages to be his rock bottom, you know, not only do I think he doesn't give a great performance and it's a movie that really kind of tonally never works is because it is such a colossal failure, not in terms of just box office, but in terms of it sank the dark universe. You know what I mean? Like, like this was announced. They took the pictures. They made the announcements. They got Tom Cruise and they photoshopped him together with everybody else. And they canned all of it because this movie did not work. And I think that's what makes it a stain on his career in a way that some of the other ones that didn't hit as hard or didn't work, maybe they're even a worse movie, maybe you could find somewhere, but because of the stakes were so high on this, I I think it sort of stands as hopefully and will continue to be, you know, the low the low point of his career. But but <laughs> in, and I'm going to use this. I say I'm chiming in because I'm going to use this as our segue. But I do think in this world that we occupy and the way things are made, particularly blockbusters. Right. And and like we said, his 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 general persona and and existence in a project is sort of this. Uh, thing, this sort of super massive black hole that needs to sustain itself kind of or else it collapses or whatever. I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but you get what I'm saying. But the idea that the only movies that can generate that kind of revenue uh, or upfront money are shared universes, big things, IP properties, you know, um, and I think. I think given his options he made the most interesting choice. The mummy? No, no. I'm just saying <laughs> in a world of, oh, I need to find myself some giant, expansive shared universe. No, and I think if he I said, think, and I'm working with the best of the best, Guillermo del Toro, direct the mummy, I think we'd have a totally different conversation. But when hmm. you're going, hi, Alex Kurtzman, slash, I'm, I'm going to have to take over myself. Wow. And I think yeah. that's the kind of last 17 years of he's worked with, yeah. what, four different filmmakers over and over? And, and kind of not working with the Kubricks and the PTAs and the Michael Manns, you know, of his youth. And and that's why, and we can get into this as, as we continue to talk, I think that this second half or whatever you want to call it of his career has been so interesting because even with the highs, it's, it's so tightly managed um, I will s- that it's, it's feels not living up to his potential. I I would disagree because of our next movie, because it does feel like an earnest one for you, one for me scenario. Because I do think the you know, he makes the mummy with Universal, right? And you can't help but feel that American made in the same year also by Universal is a like direct line item on his invoice on that one. You know what I mean? Of like, hey, cool. Like, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah, it's hard but not we're, to we're think. Gonna, I'm going to make this Doug Lyman movie, you know? Yeah, it's it's hard not to think that he, yeah. And, I, he and I will say, I, I, like, I like American Made quite a bit. And I do think, you know, I do think people kind of bemoan him not doing you know he only plays ethan hunt he only does these big things and it's like we got american made in 2017 and nobody cared so like i don't know what do you what do you expect him to do but um but i will say if the mummy 
existing at all gets us American made, make another mummy. If it gets, if it gets me another. American, yeah, I agree with that. You know, like, I, you know, and so quickly American made directed by Doug Lyman, written by Gary Spinelli. It's about Barry Seal. It's based on a true story. Barry Seal was a TWA pilot. You said pilot. Gary Spinelli's name like he like is your sworn enemy. Like you were like Gary, Gary Spinelli. Spinelli. <laughs> Gary Barry Spinelli. Um, Barry Seal was a TWA pilot who in the late 70s was recruited by the CIA to run secret missions over um, Central America using a really small plane flying underneath the surveillance. And he basically is like smuggling drugs to support <laughs> basically what'll be what'll become the Iran Contra affair. Right? Indeed. Yeah. That's what the movie's about, right? So it's you it's basically Lyman and Cruz doing um it, you know a good fellas adjacent thing that's the whole idea right it's like and you know uh, a, narcos adjacent because i believe sure. this storyline had just been on the netflix show is that right yeah it's interesting i didn't i don't think i knew that so so yeah it's it's an interesting story i did not know of it until this movie came out um Cruz is doing something totally different. Like you said, Connor, he's got a Louisiana accent, which, you know, look, your mileage yeah, may vary. Louisiana, I think, he's got like a I, question mark Southern accent. I, whatever. Yeah. Here's the thing. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me to be It doesn't to be bother clear, me because my thing but, is like, I like movie stars doing big, big, broad things. I, like, so he should he have done a German accent in Valkyrie? No. And he didn't. Good. But like, you know, should he have done an Irish accent in Far and Away? Probably not, but I think in, I don't want to like denigrate an entire part of this country, but I think if you're just going and being like, I'm going to do general Southern and it's right. like, that's what I'm going to do. This Northern has got no problem with it. Yeah. So that's just uh, what I'll say about that. But Lyman and him and Cruz clearly go in with the plan, which is to do this thing down and dirty, you know, per well, they wanted stand. to start the TWA universe. Per, um, yeah. per per their standards. So it's like a $50 million movie, but for them, it might as well be a $10 million movie. So it's yeah. like a lot of handheld, a lot of different formats, right? A lot of real life flying, of course, it being Tom Cruise, a lot of interesting stunts. And I think a genuinely interesting story. It's a guy who like is a Nero Duell who gets roped up into like a into bigger crime by the government at the moment, you know, the Reagan eighties when like, you know, the president himself was saying, fuck the government. Right. And you have like, whilst he's doing that, the government's overreach in a foreign affairs way is so insane. And then people went to jail for it. Right. Like, you know, but a lot of the people in the higher ups got away with it. Right. If right. you're not Oliver North. Right. So it's like, that's all happening and he's he's representative of the nation right so it's like you know these are broad strokes things i understand that and i can understand you know the feeling being like this is about you know they look to the mummy you know, bring it back to the mummy i could understand the argument of like uh this is about a shitty guy who got shit on okay i i, I hear that argument i just think it's a charming performance by cruz i think he's trying something i think it's interestingly shot and i think it's a very brisk pace and i think for me 
every time I watch this movie, the power of the ending sneaks up on you. Sure. That's how I feel. I agree. Like when you get to the end of that movie with the the self-recording stuff he's doing, which yeah. is like a Because you don't throughout. entirely realize what that's what's happening when you're while it's you're kind watching of it. Yeah. Great. I mean, I, no, I, I agree. You know, I think it's a kind of really underrated movie. And I and to Connor, to your point. As he gets it deeper into his sixties, I think there's this thought of like, okay, Maverick was a big hit. Like, where are you know, are we gonna how great would it be to get Tom Cruise's The Magnificent Ambersons, right? Yeah, like Tom right, Cruise's right. like just kind of yeah. like family drama. What's Tom Cruise's on Golden Can Pond I tell you look the, like the or big, something? The big know? failing and the, the key thing that I think would change a lot of people's opinion of this movie. Don't call him Barry Seal. Because they rat like the Monty Schaefer character is a composite of people who may or may not have existed. Right. And a lot of the flack this movie gets it. And even from Barry Seal's family, it was they were like, oh, you're like turning our dad who we kind of hate into like this, like Mark Twain, Forrest Gump character or whatever. Right. And I think new character, Larry C. Lyon. No, no, no. But if you just call him literally call him Nick Morton, just take it for like, but just just present it, (laughs) present it as a fictionalized thing. Right, right. Of a a real event. And then it's because then you can you can still do like the hey, just so you know, like a version of this really fucking happened. Right. Or whatever. And you can you can I think at least, uh, you know, sort of uh, diplomatically skate over the ickier stuff of like how you're treating a a real person and and real people. So I'm not necessarily going to let the movie off the hook for any of that. And I understand people feeling the way they feel about that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think in the angle of the movie that they're making, I remember the, you know, because Tom Cruise gets robotic in interviews and he says the same thing in every one when he's promoting a movie. I remember the the line with this one was it was that he's a Huck Finn character. That's like what he kept saying the entire time when he was promoting this movie. And I think on that metric, like I think this movie is a success like that is the vibe. He's this kind of like scrappy dude who just is constantly in over his head, uh, which I think is sort of a, you know, it's like a soft adjacent thing to like an Ethan Hunt, right? Like it's a, it's a similar, um, it's a similar kind of thing, but I, I agree with you, Dan. I think it really works. Like, I think it's a good performance. I, I do love in the, in the, whatever the real world may or may not happen moment, but I do love the George W. Bush scene, like where they like, yeah, so he's like, I. oh, you're a pilot. Like I'm a pilot too. Like whatever. Like I'm, I'm, and like, you're just like, it's like, oh, like that's who he is. He's just like, you know, dummies fail their way upwards all the time. Like, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a, a lot a lot that really basically works about this movie. I don't, I don't really have too many bad things to say about it. I think it's basically a success and more people should watch it. What do you, Corey, what do you think about this movie, Corey? Um, yeah, I basically agree. I think that Cruz is having fun here and this is easily the best of the bunch. I think it's kind of like a, you know, 
no pun intended, but it's a perfect airplane movie. It's a movie that you would, you know, put on and watch on a plane. It would be mm. pretty fun. Um, and I think it's good to see him in a real movie, you know, even sure. if it's slight. And I would rather watch 10 of these to another Mummy or Jack Reacher sequel that doesn't really work. Um, but at the same time, I think at the center of it, he's again sort of miscast and i think that you know the real guy uh, if you look it up was 36 tom yeah, cruise is 55 that, that's and what i'm saying and I, I think if you change his name and you fictionalize yeah. it i think that but it's I also, think that goes away a little bit like, but it's not it's not just the real guy so much as that his character is like he's playing boyish and he should be you know freaking Paul Newman in The Color of Money and instead he's still trying to get away with being this kind of kind of dim and generally southern like him him mispronouncing Medellin is like funny but like I don't I don't buy it from Tom Cruise. Like, I just don't buy him as a character this dim. And I I think it's fun for him to try different things. But I think it's sort of a thing that he he's not as good of a fit at. And when you think about his strengths, you know, it's it's good to try and stretch and do something different. But I just I don't think this works as well as what he does. You don't think the age helps some of that stuff, though, because to me, that's what makes it like a little more fun. And granted, no, I, no, I agree, because I, I think the, movie, that, the like, movie has to acknowledge it. The movie has to acknowledge like, but I think this guy's think coming does, to the tail think, end of his I, career. He's about ready to retire. He's over the hill. The young guys are coming in. He has no choice. Instead, he's like a young dad starting a family. And, yeah, you know, it's like I, the character doesn't support him being an I older guess guy. So. I'm, I'm speaking more to the dim wittedness of it because I do. I do like the idea. Uh, and let's leave out the fact that he's way older than Barry Seal, right? Because I. I'll, I'll agree with that. He's too old to actually play him. Right. But like I like on a narrative standpoint, I like the idea of a guy who's constantly doing this dumb shit. And you're like, buddy, you are too old to be like making these kinds of right. mistakes. Right. Right, like, right. Right. I think two things I think other than the changing the name thing, the other thing that I think could have fixed that if they wanted to, to fictionalize it a skosh more is if he like already had a full family. Right. Like as opposed to like to your point, Corey, he's like starting a family and building a family like over the course of the movie. And that's sort of part of the way they trace time. Right. And and again, it's not that he can't be an older guy just starting a family. It's just the movie just has to take, you know, two minutes to explain to to us that the movie knows this. And when the movie doesn't know this, you're just going. I, I, I don't believe what yeah, I'm watching here. You're not wrong here. about that. Yeah. No, 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 no. It, it did a, seem totally to me. Now, Dan, I could see you're having a soft spot for it in particular. I mean, Connor, too. But did it seem sort of Lord of War-ish in its tone? Oh, yeah. oh sure. Of yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. the, you know, sort of a little bit tongue-in-cheek, lightly fictionalized American military historical, but it, playing a little fast and loose. It's a good version. Like, and I... I don't want to go too down this far down this rabbit hole because I think we all have sort of strong, different feelings about it. But it's I think this movie is the good version of what Adam McKay does badly. Mm. Like it's that it's it's a little funny, it's tongue in cheek, but it understands the things that it's tackling and it's not necessarily satirizing them, but it is like appropriately illustrating what happened while also being like isn't this fucking insane you know like um, yeah i think i think there's definitely like uh, when they're doing the montage and he's kind of narrating like the wrong country on the place on the yeah it it felt a little like like a b plus wolf of wall street thing where you're like okay the narrator is doubling back on himself and, and and doing that kind of thing i think the adam mckay i didn't think of that but i think that's 
sort of in the zone that this, that this is in, but I, this does feel a little bit cuddlier than McKay's movies. Like whether you like sure. them or think they work or not, I think he's at least playing with a, a sharper stick. You know, what, that might what, be even true. if you think they don't land, yeah. this feels a little bit safer to me. Um, but it was good to see, you know, Steven Soderbergh's uh, Mexico yellow filters, you know, again, after 20 <laughs> years, you know, you sure. got to get those out. If you're if you're going to Southern I, America or anywhere in the Southern Hemisphere, like good to get the yellow out. Um, I was going to say I do. It, I, is, it is contractual. I mean, it, yeah, and it was great to see music. Caleb Landry Jones playing against yeah, type as a total yeah. piece of shit. Like you just don't <laughs> see that from him. <laughs> this because this was the same year as Get Out, right? Was it yeah, 2017? Yeah. 2017? Okay. yeah. And I always joke that that was the year of like, if Caleb Landry Jones was the brother of your significant other, just go away. Just walk away. It's not good. It's going to end yeah. badly for you. Um, I, Alan- do, I, I remember liking Sarah Wright in it, though it's that thing of like her and Cruz together is doing nobody any favors. <laughs> Sarah Wright? They look a, they look a lot alike. Uh, they look they, a lot they alike. do look a lot alike. <laughs> or were you making a joke or are you honestly No, no, no. Think... I, I, I didn't look it up. I thought no, it was Sarah Alice. Wright no, is the actress. Her name is, is, her actress, name is Sarah but, Wright. But no, it does, she, looks she does like look Alice. Oh, like my Alice. God. I'm literally finding this out. That is nuts. I watched the whole I'm movie. I'm leaving that in. I'm leaving that in. I agree, Dan. I think I do. Th- I think I she, like, my I think she is, gives I a like good her. performance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just think yeah. it's that thing of like, and look, we do, look. We talked about this. I don't remember what podcast. Maybe it was the maybe it was the last podcast. Corey's talking about strength strengths of movie stars. One of one area that has never been a strength of Tom Cruise is Roman- chemistry, romantic with, chemistry with yeah. his significant other. Right. I, I yeah. think you could count on one hand the times that's really worked you know and i would even say like i was thinking about it more after we recorded the first 20 minutes with kristen scott thomas at the the first mission impossible is actually like that is like peak tommy chemistry where mm, it's like yeah him and kristen scott thomas him and emmanuel Bert in that movie and really you know, a skosh with Zellweger, a skosh with Kelly Preston that same and, year. And even Zellweger, I mean, the whole point of that movie is, is they that don't they really don't have Yeah, right. that's the whole, right. that's why it works, right? Like, And then like the best movie, I mean, and you know, the, the great, the great equalizer of all this is that the best movie he ever made is all about the fact that he has no chemistry with his wife. Yeah, right, right. Which is the greatest his thing real, that's ever been put to celluloid. <laughs> it's the greatest movie ever made because of that exact reason. <laughs> It's uh, like, what if you didn't have good chemistry uh, with your wife and a guy filmed it for over a year and then you got divorced? <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but yeah, American Made. Yeah, I think I, I encourage people to check it out. I think it's underrated. That's where I stand on it. Um, I look I hope, and I hope Lyman and Cruz, I know they're trying to make that movie um, in space movie in space i hope whether it's that movie or another movie i hope you know or the you know they're they're like softly trying to make that second edge of tomorrow movie um i hope they make a third movie together because i do think they have a good working relationship and Cruz tends to have good working relationships with directors right he 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 works again with many directors, right? We talked about Zawick, you know, mm. never go back. We talked about, you know, we obviously Lyman, you know, but McCoury there, a million times. N- not to draw the comparison or go too, too far afield, but 
do you feel like he's a little bit like Marvel Studios and the directors are sort of working for him in this second I, half of his career? Always, though. I don't think. Yeah, I. Oh, I, you mean? Well, yeah, maybe I think with that's mission. a fair. I think I that's mean, a fair point. The Macquaries yeah. and the Lyman. I think that's the, a fair. It, it, Cruz is is at least a co. I don't know about Lyman though. Lyman is a very specific director, though. Yeah, I mean, th- with the Macquarie of it all, though, I, I will say, I, I think Macquarie and Kaczynski, yeah, certainly, but even Kaczynski is, like, is a co-director in my mind. But yes. the, I guess so. But even the, and we talked a lot, obviously, a lot about Joe Kaczynski's whole career on our on our last episode. But like his whole trajectory, all still feels of a piece, even in the two movies that he didn't make with Tom Cruise. Right. So like that, I do believe is an earnest th- and same thing with Macquarie. I do think there is, it's not as, it doesn't feel as disingenuous as like the Marvel universe does in terms of like it's bait and switch of directors. Like I do. Th- well, no, I think, I think there's Cruz a truth is, to what you're saying, Corey. I well, just think more, he also has a they're craftsmen for- than, than auteurs and Cruz is the yeah. auteur and they're the, you know, craftsmen helping him bring these to life, you right. know, rather yeah. than submitting sense, himself to, to point, a Michael Mann for collateral Feige, or what have you. Right, like yeah. Feige is the, is the auteur is the auteur right. of yeah. the Marvel right. stuff? Yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah I, I don't. I, that's yeah. I think that's it, a, just a thought. Um, but Dan, I, I basically agree with you here. Wait, I, did I, you not see? Wait, hang on. Did you not see Kate Shortland in in Black Widow? You didn't I, see her. No, I, I didn't, didn't see. see I didn't touch. see Black Widow. So you, you didn't. Just, you didn't. Oh, you didn't see it. At no, all. I didn't see it. Uh, <laughs> um, saying, um, you didn't see the. You didn't see the touch of the director who made Lore. You didn't see oh, that in Black Widow. God. Um, you didn't see. Wait, wait. You didn't see the touch of the people. Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who made one of my favorite movies, Sugar. Half Nelson. You Sugar too. You didn't see their nuanced indie touch in Captain Marvel. I saw the Nine Inch Nails shirt, Dan. Um, yeah, I knew I shouldn't open this can of worms, but um, <laughs> she falls into a. Bu- it's so funny because she falls into a blockbuster. Do you remember? I do and remember it's the funny 90s because it's the nineties. Yeah, because it's right, blockbuster. I remember. So back in the nineties, for those listening. Blockbuster was such a big I, popular story. To get actually to get us back on track, but still to piggyback off that joke, I there was a lot of stuff in this movie for me that I was like, oh, I recognize that thing. Uh, because my dad was a pilot for TWA. I love uh, it. So like I will say, um, and not you know, unsurprising in terms of the work that they did or whatever. Um but I did have like weird moments where like the uniform Tom Cruise wears the even the, like the flight bag he has. I was like, I that I saw that in my dad's closet like every fucking day or whatever. Um, so a lot of that for me. And I we kind of said uh, on our hundredth uh, episode that like maybe aviation is just part of my Connor core of like things that I like. Yeah. So if if a movie is like loosely about aviation, I'm just I'm gonna always be like a little bit into in it. the tank. Like, my, well, my my head is still spinning that I've seen that twice and literally didn't know until just now it wasn't Alice Eve. So I'm going to just regroup <laughs> for a minute. But um, I, I do think uh, I, I don't think the ending quite lands for me. I think it's a really tricky tonal balance. I see what they're trying to do. Um, and I, I do think that Cruz kind of gets better towards the end as it takes a dramatic turn. I think he's better at being the I'm fucking sure guy than the like dim bulb who's just sort of getting roped into this thing. Um, 
So I, I think this is generally a pretty good to okay movie, but again, feels sort of beneath peak Cruz and, and what we would expect of him as a movie star, but sort of, you know, shaggy and amiable and, and fine, you know, even if it's a little bit generic and it plays every 70s song that you've heard in 25 other movies, all the most obvious ones, you, you know, know, for the montage. You know what this movie reminds he, me of? Well, you go first, Dan. Sorry. Well, I was going to kind of pivot us away. I was with, too. With the well, I had a Joseph Cotton thought, uh, okay, which is sure. to say, Talk about I, Joseph. I referenced. Yes. Well, I referenced the Magnificent Ambersons earlier. Indeed. When we're talking about kind of what, you know, with all this Maverick cachet, what what can Cruz give us? What will he be willing to give us? What have you? Um, I don't have a lot of faith that there will be anything, you know, because he's making these mission movies and and what have you, but. Speaking of Joseph Cotton, who's in The Magnificent Ambersons, how great would it be if Cruz played a character like the character in, now I'm not going to remember the title, what's the hit? Shadow of a Doubt. Oh, sure. If he went like full Like if Cruz leans into the sociopath thing. Kind of brings back collateral a little bit. Yeah, uh, sure. And the thing about, well, yeah, but collateral is so direct, right? Where he he is a hitman. He, he, like, he, well, and we forget, he, at one point in the many iterations of this project, he was going to play H.H. Holmes in Devil in the White City, which would have been. So this is my point. Right. So this is my point. I think I love collateral. I think it's a great performance. But he's like, you can't even call that girl. Yeah, he's playing a force of nature, right? Like yeah. he's almost not even a human, right? He's like a machine, right? Sure. So that's interesting. He's a, term- he's a terminator. Yeah. yeah, more yeah. or less. Yeah. He's got a couple of great monologues, but yeah. I would love the charming, right, right. to the speaking to the HH Holmes. That I would love. Like lean into that intensity that now has become this like joke slash we're inspired by it. We we ridicule it with him, you know, an equal footing lean into that mm. turn on some of the charm that would be such a delight and i think would really kind of spark most people right if you just kind of like think about him in like because you know nightmare alley right sure um, yeah yeah cooper I, I like nightmare alley but i think cruise would have been hard. too old for it but the, the tone sure but totally cooper yeah. stru- i like the movie a lot cooper i think struggles with the material a little bit right yeah I, I'll, I'll just say that you know, yeah, like Cruz kind of hinting at that sociopathy with the huckster charm. Oof, that would be good. Yeah, and, and think, it's a little, a little a bit, yeah, like a little that. And a, you're right, Corey, him playing dumb is is hard to, to I mean, believe. He's I will casting himself against type, and he's obviously aware of this and trying to stretch and do something different. It doesn't always work, and but maybe he'll find something new he can use. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously not what he does best. I think too, like the, the kind of the, the range that you're talking about, Dan, like you get the reason something like edge of tomorrow is such a success is because it does do a little bit of that. Like the reason that performance works so well is because he plays like a bullshitter. Right. And it's just like, that's kind of why it comes off. I think, um, the way that it does. But um, I was going to say, and this was going to be more, even more of a tangent than what Dan said, but just to speak to a recent movie, I think the reason I like this movie and the reason I like the movie that I'm about to mention is it's got this kind of just generally chill energy. Uh, 
much like the recent Confess Fletch, there is kind of a like relaxed, like, hey, we're just we're having a good time. Right. Like energy to this movie. And I feel totally. like I really vibe with that. Um, and I feel like that's also part of its success. I do think to your point, Corey, about the Adam McKay maybe being a little bit more you know, has a little bit more bite to some of the stuff that he does than this movie does is because I think when this movie does get political or even threaten what burgeons on an opinion, it's like the broadest possible version of that opinion right. that that anybody would agree with. Right. Like, you know, like the, my mother-in-law's very conservative boyfriend watched this movie and also loved it. Right. Like kind of thing. Like, so it's. And, and it's not that I think that Tom Cruise needs to make political movies or political statements. But I just think sort that's, of wish I, he I, would like he could make crowd pleasing hundred. I'm plus just saying that speaks movies. to the chill energy of the yeah. movie. Right. Like yeah. they made it. He made a movie about the Iran Contra affair and ra- and like it's sort of kind of lobs whatever is the most basic critique at it but basically it is to this movie what the civil war is to the good the bad and the ugly right like it's just this you know broader scope backdrop uh historical backdrop to, right to a to narrative the movie that, movie that they want to just yeah that they want to get across well part of not to again go open up too big of a can of worms here but Part of the reason that I wanted to talk about Tom Cruise with you guys in particular, both because I know you're big fans and also because for the last decade or so, I felt sort of outside the consensus on Tom Cruise. And in the sense that I like the Mission Impossible movies, I think the De Palma one is far and away the best of the series. I know people really love the Macquarie ones. I like those. Um, But... But essentially is going, you're looking at the last 17 years or so of his career and you could pick out a American Made that's pretty good or an Edge of Tomorrow that, that you know, is a cool cult movie. But outside of those and maybe one or two others, you mostly got the Mission Impossible movies to land on. And since War of the Worlds and obviously him kind of readjusting his career and the kinds of movies he wants to make in order to maintain his status as one of the world's biggest movie stars – It is more or less a completely different career than the Tom Cruise who had existed from the early 80s up through 2005. And I think I have felt a just deep disappointment in his safe choices, uh, limited filmmakers that he's willing to work with. And then when he does a movie, you know, that's a double like American Made, that's fine. And when he does a kind of you know, sort of craven blockbuster attempt like The Mummy that totally flops. It's extremely sad. Um, but even the kind of Macquarie Mission Impossibles, I'm like, these are a lot of fun. But that in between these, he's not working with PTA and Kubrick and De Palma and, you know, whoever today's version is that he's not <laughs> going he to. Get, here's my question. Can he, you think he can get another one with Kubrick? What, what, <laughs> I don't think Kubrick, but but the Kubricks of today or whoever they are or, you know, the, the thing that that he saw Boogie Nights and brought PTA onto the set of Eyes Wide Shut to go, whatever you're doing next, think about me. And that's how he got the part in right, Magnolia right. and just going, you know, you hear about, oh, maybe he was being considered for one of the roles in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, why the fuck didn't he do everything he could do I to do give think, that performance? I do, think, I do think he tried to get the role, though. And I think we're not that, frankly, I don't think we're that far 
I do think a Quentin Tarantino Tom Cruise collaboration is a th- is a thing that could exist. Okay, well, great. Let's that fucking feels, see that, it. And, and let's, no, 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 I'm let's just saying, see that feels some other most, stuff too. That, that feels the most feasible to me of any possible like you know a legendary director meets Tom Cruise kind of c- collaboration because like it's not going to be Fincher. It's not going to be like Kelly Reichardt. It's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to, it's not even, maybe it would be the Safties. Maybe like the Safties could, I mean, could make yeah, like a, work with Barry Jenkins, I, you know, work with Greta Gerwig, work with whoever he sees but that's a movie the thing, like, gets Greta fired Gerwig, up about. In, in what, in what possible movie would but Greta Gerwig make the Tom Cruise? But if she casts him as the there, older like, comic relief in something, at least yeah. you'll know he'll be working with the great filmmaker. The thing is when he's, you know, being cast against type in these movies by these, you know, Doug Lyman, sure, definitely more idiosyncratic, would not call him workmanlike, but some of the other directors. Yeah, I mean, I think Lyman's a Cruise, very close to a great director. Cruise yeah. is the auteur, but very spotty in the Lyman stuff. And and you're going, I, I just don't quite understand. I, it's like you can see the fear in his choices. You can see that the, the, the yeah, I, I would rather, be a, movie, wrong, I'd rather be a movie true. star in Jack Reacher 2 than take a chance on whoever today's yeah. PTA would and be. Now, gr- and now, that makes me extremely disappointed. Granted, I will say one thing we haven't really mentioned this important, the very important context, which is he is the first movie star to be decimated by social media, right? Like viral videos, that kind of thing, right? Well, the, the and, couch ju- the couch jump was YouTube, the first right. yeah, YouTube yeah, yeah. viral that, that, video. That, that's yeah. what I'm saying. So he was the first, he was literally out of the gate, the guinea pig for like, how do we, the old guard, survive in, in what's to come, right? And literally since that, because that was the War of the Worlds press tour, right? Oh, five. Summer of 05. Right. So like literally since then, it has been okay. Like it's a, it is a rebuild. It's a different landscape. And I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of put words in your mouth, Corey, or project onto you the way you might feel about it. But in everything that you're saying, and I don't necessarily, I understand why you feel that way. And I agree to an extent. I think part of that may be may be burgeoned by the fact that he is just a reminder of how everything is different now, right? Like, I don't think realistically there is a world where Cruz can do the things that you're asking him to do. And I think, because I don't know of anyone else who's doing it, because the other big people are also doing the same thing. No, 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 no. Take take a point of comparison. I would put him on the level with a Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio. Brad Pitt has worked with Steve McQueen. He's worked with Ridley Scott. He's worked with Andrew Dominic. He's worked with Bennett Miller. He's worked with Terrence Malick. He's worked with Tarantino but, twice. He's worked with Fincher a bunch of times. He's worked with the Coen brothers. Tom Cruise. Take a fucking meeting, buddy. What are you doing? Yeah, but I Work think with Scorsese. The- call him back up. Say, hey, I'm ready for the Paul Newman part in Color of Money. Pair me with a young guy. I'll do whatever you want. I'll be the, the I'll be the detective behind the desk for two scenes. Let me come kill it for you. And I think if Tom Cruise had an interest in doing that, I think those calls would be taken. I think he'd rather do. I would rather lead Jack Reacher and hope it's a worldwide success than be the third or fourth lead in Scorsese's well, next ensemble. But you're also discounting the fact that those two dudes you just mentioned never operated the 
in their movies the way Cruz operated, where he wanted to be in every meeting, especially once he became a producer, where him he 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 basically is a director who was always just in search of someone as a vessel to direct like and i think that became clear the the minute he made mission impossible which was a franchise that he'd made so that he could have a thing to make right like well yeah everything changed i think the minute he approached Sidney pollock about making mission impossible and obviously pollock would eventually leave and he got to palma right but after the firm and the and the huge success that was the firm, right? And then he was like, "I want my own thing," right? That was it was a very specific choice, right? He was talking to a lot of people. He wanted to find and he found the IP, blah blah blah, all these things, right? And it became a huge hit. Jerry Maguire, the same year, arguably the biggest year for any actor in 1996. Tom Cruise, he gets nominated. Everything changed after that, and even though he still did. Like you're saying, Corey, he still did Eyes Wide Shut. He still did Magnolia. Gave himself to Steven Spielberg. And, and had, look, had almost well, a decade post Lest we forget, Vanilla Sky, Vanilla Sky is one of the most insane swings a movie a star could take. And I think that never gets talked about enough. Like the Jerry Maguire cash-in that was Vanilla Sky, which is like such a crazy movie. No, yeah, and, he, a, and a, even a if re- it doesn't entirely work, of, that's what I want to well, see. No, it's, but, it's everything post-2005 that I'm talking about. No, I understand. I'm just giving context, which I'm saying the minute he made Mission Impossible, it was always going to change because that yeah, was his intention. That, that's kind of my point is like he's just – he's always kind of – the minute he got the ability to do it – He's always been this specific kind of movie star. But I do agree. I do optimistically agree with Connor. I do think maybe not in the next two, three, four, five years, but I do think we will get a late period reflective cruise movie that's hopefully directed by yeah like i think barry jenkins is a great thought i think like barry jenkins doing the demi close-up to tom cruise who's never really gotten that close-up right i mean how beautiful would that magnolia how beautiful would that taj what what's what, what's uh, the dp's name the demi's dp Otak Fujimoto. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The Fujimoto, like. No, but Cor- Ma- Magnolia. He, get, you get he, it he Magnolia. gets that. I'm quietly right, judging whatever. you. Right. I've, never seen, I've, never, I've never seen Magnolia. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Other than Magnolia, which now is over 20 years ago. So I uh, getting old crews in that. That, I think, is the crucial part. I think, yes, getting something like that. Where you're a, seeing a, some of his wear and well, tear. Yeah, yeah, that I think. With is. a Barry Jenkins at the helm. I find that fascinating. And I think we will get it. I do think we will get it. But I think, not, you know. Not if he doesn't change his mind, you know. But, but my one counter would be, and this is a bit of a, I understand this is a little stretchy. Top Gun Maverick is a little bit of that movie. I think we can all agree. Now yeah, it's I mean, huge. It, yeah, yeah. It, it's a huge, huge blockbuster movie. He's making that kind sequel. of movie on his terms, right? Like it's. Uh, I yeah. think right. I think yeah. what Cruz is doing in that movie, and I think the reason that movie is special, is because that is what that movie's about, and it's kind of very openly about that. I mean, there's a lot of doubt in that performance. There's a lot of vulnerability in that performance. That third act, like. R- you know, I was talking to Connor about this. There's a very specific moment in Top Gun Maverick in which they're they're about to do the final mission. He's chosen Miles Teller to be his co-pilot. And he says, 
What what is the line? Connor? He says like, he says you got this, but it's his delivery. You, so yeah, he, he says you. It's got almost this. like a quest. Like you can feel well, so, the yeah, hesitancy. So the, deli- yeah. the whole point is the yeah. delivery to Teller is this like he is he's trying to convey confidence to and, his surrogate and son, yeah, and so clearly not believing the words coming out of his mouth. Right. So that. Is what you're talking about, Corey, right? Like that's that's Cruz no, getting I, older and owning. Yes, it. and I think if he and can I think, extrapolate I think Top Gun Maverick that, is great, yeah. and I think he's great so. in it, and that's why I kind of wanted to choose this moment. Like I, I'm not really interested in kind of like piling on Cruz when he's down or at a low ebb. I thought the no. interesting thing about having this conversation now it feels like an is, inflection point. Is he's, it feels, he's at the yeah. top of the mountaintop, yeah. and we're looking back at just five years ago was the Mummy. When it was like beyond a joke, when people just were so not interested in him as a performer. And now he is back to being this kind of beloved saint-like figure of we cannot wait for two more Mission Impossibles. Top Gun was one of our favorite movies of the year. And Tom Cruise can do no wrong, period. And so I hope that he can take this moment to maybe make some more adventurous choices and get back to the, the performer that he was you know, in the 80s and 90s when he went to filmmakers first and 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 took chances with filmmakers who saw what he did best and knew how to craft something for him that never made him look bad. And maybe he would stretch and maybe he would be playing, you know, like in the Cameron Crowe movies, a character who was pathetic and who was kind of like at wit's end. And yet you loved him in these movies and he's so great in them. It's it's not that he has to win or has to be the coolest. It's that you need a director who knows how to work with Cruz to, to get him to be his best. And, and the depressing thing about these in-between movies is He's working with filmmakers and and vehicles that don't value him enough to bring the best out in him. And that's what makes him kind of depressing is going, he is this precious national uh, or natural resource. And when he's not being utilized, it, it feels like so wasteful to me. Well, I, let's let him, let's let him into the zoom. Yeah. Tom, here's Tom. Tom, Tom yes. Cruise, there hey, Tom. Is. No, um, no, I, I think that's all well said, Corey, because I do think just, uh, I, I suppose as we start wrapping up here, like, I think the thing with obviously doing this podcast now and like like I said, all the timing just all feels right. But um, a big part of, I think, this run that we're talking about and we've talked about across these two episodes is a kind of underlying try hard energy of like, what can I do to get you to like me again? Right. Right. And that's and the I, thing that I, turns off think, audiences. No, no, no. And I, and I, I think that's a fair point. And I, and I think again, sometimes as we've talked about, I think sometimes these movies still work despite that energy. Yeah. But, but I think the most successful ones that we haven't talked about, like the Mission Impossible movies or the Mavericks or whatever, they work because they embody that energy. It is just a person. He just makes movies about a guy who's literally just trying his hardest. Right. Well, his whole public persona now is just try hard. Yeah. 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 And it's and I'm just going to literally kill kill myself myself on screen. Will you like do you like me yet? And I think. If I can, if I can offer up a thing to just the fates and the universe and hope it comes back in the, in in the form of more interesting choices in the future, it's that maybe the response to Top Gun Maverick 
will put him in a place of like, no, man, like we, we like you. And, and even if even the people who don't like you since 2005 and since we realized kind of maybe how weird you are, we've all kind of settled on how we feel about you at the very least. Right. Like there's just a thing of like, I think generally you're kind of on board with enjoying Tom Cruise as a movie star at this point or you're not. And I think the best thing that could come out of Top Gun Maverick is like, yeah, I don't know. Look, we think you're weird. Maybe some of us have decided we care about that. Maybe some of us have decided we don't. Let's move on. Right. And and I and I don't you know, I don't think that I don't I, I don't have the greatest necessary confidence or faith that he will, because we still have two whole press tours of Mission Impossible movies in, in front of us. But I do think with Top Gun Maverick and those two mission movies, it does feel like him closing the loop on a few things. So here's hoping that does lead to like, you know, something else. Let me just say one more thing before we wrap up, just because I feel like I've been sort of negative on Tom Cruise because of the movies we've been discussing. And I just want to make it clear. The reason I have such strong feelings is because I think he is so great when he is so great. And as a kid who was born in the early eighties and kind of came up with him in the nineties, um, I, I just think that his work during that period was so risk-taking and so, you know, it, it just the, the height of what a movie star was that it's hard to not sort of feel disappointed by his choices, you know, in recent years. And I will say that, you know, Dan, as you mentioned, kind of Eyes Wide Shut earlier, you know, seeing that movie and then Magnolia, which I actually um, – just saw again uh, at the New Art in LA on 35 millimeter, and I oh, know you're it's so kind of cool like the thing in LA to with say. Your cool yeah, <laughs> it's a movie theater, very cool. Um, I know the thing to say is like, oh, two of his best performances, Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia, whatever. But like seeing Magnolia again because it's been a few years, and watching his work in that movie is just. I mean, it it really the hype does not do it justice to how great he is in that movie, and I think. There's something to what PTA sees in him, you know, the same way he did with Adam Sandler is he sees what's at the heart of this, you know, the Tom Cruise, the movie star, and he's able to give him these different notes to play in that film. And I, I think when he's at his best, you know, there's, there's just no one better. And, and, it, and it is the bullshitter and the vulnerability. And he thinks he's the coolest guy in the room and it's all these things at once. But, but. No one else can do what Tom Cruise could do. There are other people, you know, like like Jackie Chan can't do what Tom Cruise does in Magnolia. Do you know what I mean? Like Tom Cruise may be able to hang off a plane. And I think that's really cool. Um, have you seen the tuxedo? Dude? <laughs> <laughs> I have not. Um, but it's, it's just to say, have you seen, seen the medallion? The medallion? <laughs> yeah. I, I just kind of I, I don't want him because he's so talented to sort of be reduced to. Yeah. Uh, a stunt performer, you know what I mean? A human ragdoll who will put himself through these things, which I think is really fun. Go to space, do that, fly the plane. I love that. But like call up the directors who can get you to give the performance. And I, I think when you look at the contemporaries, you look at a Leo a little bit younger, you look at a Brad Pitt, even just in that Babylon trailer, how he's being deployed. You and, love that Babylon and you trailer, go, baby. Someone do that for Tom Cruise, please. Anybody. No, I agree. I don't think not, I, we yeah, agree. I think we, yeah, yeah, we we all agree on that. I'm sort of contesting that. Like, I don't know. 
I don't know if that's what he it doesn't seem like that's what he wants. Right. Like he's one of the most powerful. No, he doesn't. People in Hollywood. Right. And like <laughs> and you can la- and you can. La- yeah, you can lament him not wanting that, I suppose. Right. But it's not it's not like this person's taking swings on roles or, or going out for roles and not getting them or something like that. Right. It's just that he's not necessary. He, he or may. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't fucking know the guy or whatever, but like. He just may not be interested in all that. I will say, I do think that's a that is a great segue into us closing because I do think one of the things I always have said to just even friends or whatever in passing when when they kind of you know wince or roll their eyes when I say that like he's my favorite movie star or whatever, it, it is the heart of what you're talking about, Corey. Is that there are plenty of other actors and movie stars that I like, right? But they can't also do what they do and hang off of a plane or, you know, or jump out of it 127 times just to get the right shot or, you know, like, and I think, yeah, to, to have someone who can, yeah, maybe, maybe not reach the heights of say Daniel Day Lewis or Brando or some shit or whatever, but like to get someone who is a, an extremely capable performer as an actor and also such a, an amazing physical presence and entertainer all in one package does feel so basically non-existent. Like I love Brad and I love Leo as, as actors and entertainers, but like they're not going to hang off of the plane. And that to a degree does make the difference in some, in some of you know the things that this person makes. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, it just in terms of, I think what we want out of him, I will say actually, before I move on to that, Corey, outside of, uh, Obviously, the PTA and Eyes Wide Shut. We asked this of Richie, our last guest. What's your what's your go to cruise? Like, what's your favorite? Like this 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 performance is unstoppable. What's your favorite uh, non? What's your favorite non uh, PTA or Eyes Wide Shut cruise performance? Oh man, good question. Um, Probably the first ones coming to mind, the, which may be just the ones I've watched the most outside of those, are the first Mission Impossible and Minority Report. So yeah, which is a, which that's, is that would be my Minority Report is personally I think like kind kind of also that, to that's like the, a top three per cruise performance for I me. Know. It's so it's, it's so, so good, good. It's so and good. it's like yeah. him being darker and tortured and yet doing a blockbuster movie that has some ideas in it, working with the great filmmaker. So I, I I don't mean to be like, hey, Tom Cruise, make like $30 million dramas or get the fuck out. Like, no, make big, expensive movies right. that can make a billion dollars. But like fucking call up Spielberg and do whatever apology you've got to make to go <laughs> sure, like, sure, buddy, sure, let's bury sure. the hatchet. I'm, do you know so, what I'm I mean? sorry like, I put Scientology tents on the exactly, set of War of the Worlds. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. It's just like... Yeah. Get with the filmmakers who can who can let you do your best work. And I think when he's the marquee name and the filmmakers kind of, you know, a, a half step behind him, I, I think he's not living up to his full potential. And so, you know, e- even in that sense, yeah, I'd love to see him make another um, big movie like that with an interesting filmmaker, a Michael Mann, a Steven Spielberg, a Brian De Palma um, and and kind of. Do something like that. Or, or, you know, maybe if you want to go the other way, you know, Brad Pitt kind of tried with Bullet Train, which was maybe a little more comic. Sure. But in you want to do a John Wick style movie where you can do the stunts and fight? Sure. Do that, too. Do you know what I mean? Like, do do the thing, but do it where it's sort of crafted around what you do best in your persona and 
and and you know make that movie yeah no a- amen to that i think um i think I think we'll get more. I, I think realistically, like we'll get more interesting things out of him in the future. I don't, you know, who's to say whether or not he'll capitalize off of the success, uh, the deserved success of Top Gun Maverick, uh, in the way that we would hope. But um, yeah, I think. Well, well, Tom, we know that you're listening, and I just want yeah. to say, <laughs> I feel <laughs> like this honestly, is felt he, harsh. It's all out. I of was going to say, if, if, not that he ever would, but if we ever attempted to get him on, I'd yeah. have to like temporarily delete these three episodes. A- apologies to uh, like my buddy Drew Taylor, who hosts the yeah. uh, uh, Light the Fuse <laughs> podcast. Yeah. When he hears this, I will definitely get an irate text. <laughs> um, it's all out of love. I promise. Um, no, I'm glad we had, I'm glad we had you on for this. Cause I, and I love when we have you on, cause I feel like we tend to disagree, but in the most enjoyable and interesting way possible on certain things. And I think that always makes for a good show. Um, always a pleasure. Yeah. That said, where can people find you? What do you got coming up? I know we got, a, we got some plugs so we can get to those. Um, yes, we have some really exciting stuff. So, uh, if you are in the New York area, um, come to the New York Film Festival, a thing that is very great. And this year, uh, Connor, uh, myself, uh, and Jordan Raup, uh, co-founder of the Film Stage, uh, will be hosting uh, Cinephile Game Night at the New York Film Festival. Um, you guys just did one at Museum of the Moving Image last weekend. We did, yeah. And that seemed like a lot of fun. And yeah, we're actually uh, going to be doing three more events during the New York Film Festival uh, at Lincoln Center. Um, so definitely uh, come on by for that. Uh, it's going to be Saturday, October 1st at 8 p.m., Monday, October 3rd at 8 p.m. That one is going to be with uh, IndieWire, which should be a lot of fun. And then you and Jordan will be Sunday, October 9th at 8 p.m. And we're going to yes. be playing Cinephile, doing trivia, giving away passes to some of the big gala uh, premieres at the festival uh and just having fun so if you are listening to this and you're in new york definitely come by um because i'm so excited to come back to new york film festival in general and then just super thrilled that we're going to get to do this at the festival and you have speaking of cinephile or little cinephile you have uh some new stuff out that you you've been working tirelessly on Yes. Uh, yeah. And so the uh, it, so uh, Cinephile, a card game, uh, if you don't have it, you should definitely check that out. Uh, and then I have a brand uh, called Little Cinephile, kind of spinoff line um, for film nerds like myself uh, or Dan Mecca or Jordan Raup, who have very young children um, and want to share their love of film with them. Um, and so as kind of you guys mentioned at the top, we have a book called A is for Tour, which is an alphabet book of famous directors. And then our next project is. Um, is going to be called My First Movie, and it's basically a series of board books for very small children uh, about very not kid-friendly genres and eras of movies. And so there's going to be three books in the first uh, series. Uh, It's going to be uh, My First Giallo Horror, uh, My First French New Wave, and My First Film Noir. And yes, it is supposed to be a little bit funny, but it's also got just a lot of love for those genres in there. Um, beautiful and it's illustrations. Great to look at. I've, I've been privy yes. to yeah, I've been privy to a lot of the work you've been doing on it and the the illustrations. I don't have kids, but if I did, 
I'm sure they would love them. No, that's what David Lowry said (laughs) on the back of one of the books. Um, And yeah, and I've been working all year uh, with a great illustrator, uh, Julie Olivier, who um, is a French uh, illustrator, and she just totally killed it. And it really captures the bright, colorful children's book style with these like much darker, more adult movies. And they rhyme and they're fun and the art is really great. And so, um, yeah, those will be out at the end of the year. uh, And they are currently on pre sale um at cinephilegame.com or lil l-i-l cinephile.com um so yeah check those out and you can follow cinephile on social media at cinephile game yes that's correct and and at lil cinephile yes if you have kids definitely recommended for the latter but even if you don't you know they still look great on your shelf so check them out for sure. Um, I have the A for Auteur book and I like looking at it from time to time. I don't know what that says about me, but I've learned <laughs> no. a lot about Ozu. So, you know, um, it's a coffee table book. <laughs> yeah, it's no, to- it's great. Totally it's great. Cool. Um, but yeah, Corey, thank you again. Really appreciate it as always. And Dan, where can people find you? Um, you can follow me, DJ Mech on Twitter, Fathom Stories and Connor. Take us home. Yeah, you can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B-Side. You can shoot us an email at BSIDE at thefilmstage.com if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, Wherever you are listening, please do rate, review, and subscribe if you like what you have heard. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, You know, as we hit 102, going on to 103, um, it's just, it's been... It's been a lot of fun, and um, we appreciate all your feedback. We do take it into consideration, so please do rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, coming up, we still have our audience choice that we have, we have scheduled sort of intermittently throughout the remainder of this year and maybe into the beginning of next year. Uh, so those are some episodes on Brian De Palma, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Michelle Yeoh, and Cameron Diaz. So those will be coming down the pipe in the future. Uh, we also have a fun Halloween-themed one that we're working on uh, where we're going to be looking at some B-sides from the actors who have played Universal monsters so um so that'll be a fun one you can look out for as well um other than that thank you so much um and thank you once more to adam blotner for our great theme music and uh just remember as the man says we just want to entertain you and now you're listening to the b-side